Well, in the recent James Bond film, No Time to Die, there's a quote from the novelist Jack London. I think it comes twice in the film. You can correct me if I'm wrong. It goes like this. You can see it on the screen. The proper function of man is to live, not to exist. I shall not waste my days in trying to prolong them. I shall use my time. In other words, life is a gift. Don't let it happen to you. Take control. Use your time. The quote comes not just in the film. Ian Fleming himself used it in his novel, You Only Live Twice. And uh, he added this at, at that point. He added this. He said, I would rather be a superb meteor, every atom of me in magnificent glow, than a sleepy and permanent planet. We long for our lives to mean something, to stand for something. We long for a taste of glory. We strive for it in our work, our families, our relationships. And for some of us, at least at Christmas time, uh, we seek it through the humble brag of the Christmas letter. I don't know if that's familiar at all. Sometimes feeling like sometimes that we are trying to prove ourselves um, as much to others as to ourselves that... You know, grade one violin and the promotion at work and the dance classes, that they mean something. They stand for something. Perhaps one of the most important, uh, well, one of the most frustrating, rather, aspects of this ongoing uh, pandemic and all the restrictions is the sense that it's become much more difficult to do more than simply exist. How much can you achieve in lockdown on a Zoom call, separated from loved ones, maybe even grieving, fearing for the future? Those Christmas letter-worthy activities can provide some sense of meaning and worth and even glory, but we still have to ask, can they really make up for that sense of existing and not living that sums up so much of life in a pandemic and even the rest of the time and even when they do just a little bit how long does that last in that reading we just heard from john chapter one john says this at the end he says we have seen his glory the glory of the one who in this reading he calls the word and who towards the end he confirms is jesus christ we have seen his glory. Now, glory is not an easy word to understand or define. We use it in all kinds of different ways. It's not a simple concept. You know, it's not like a, a Christmas tree, which, you know, I can tell you what one of those is. I can draw one. When you see one, you just think, oh, yeah, that's a Christmas tree. You know what to expect. Glory is more like something like beauty. You know, you know when you've seen something beautiful... And yet the funny thing is there is always more beauty to discover, beauty that you might not even be aware of. And it's like that with glory. And so many of the places that we look for glory, like our own lives and our work and our relationships, our friendships and our hobbies and sport and whatever it might be, well, they can sometimes deliver something a little bit glorious, something that makes us catch our breath in amazement. But John wants to show us something, or rather someone, way more glorious than we could ever imagine. 
So very briefly, let's see the three ways that John shows us Jesus is glorious. First, he tells us that he's glorious because he's God. Back in verse 1, the beginning of the reading, that is where he begins. Before creation, with the word who is God, with the word who is with God, from the start, from before the start, forever. And therefore, because of that, he can make God known to us, not as an inferior messenger, but as God himself. The heart of Christianity is not a message, first of all, about you know, how to be a good person or uh, even a message about how to get to heaven when you die. First and foremost, Christianity is about how you can know God. The author C.S. Lewis talked about uh, children who grow up in the slums refusing a trip to the seaside because they don't know what it's like and they prefer to stay at home playing with mud pies rather than take a trip to the seaside. They don't know what's being offered to them. And he says, we're like them, we're like that. We're far too easily pleased, far too easily pleased. Infinite joy is offered to us. And it is offered to us in a relationship with the God who made us and we can know him through Jesus Christ. As we think about what it might mean to live our lives rather than just exist, we, what would we do? We might land on things like love and joy and intimacy and connection and being known as we really are. And we often imagine that Christianity is somehow going to be saying to us, tone those desires down. You know, your desires are too strong, we might imagine God saying to us. But actually, what he says to us is more like this. Your desires are too weak. Stop being satisfied, he says, with, with meeting those desires in fleeting experiences that come and go. See that they can only finally be met in me, he says. The one who's been there from the beginning, who will still be there at the end who made you and knows you better than you know yourself. That is what God says to us. Jesus is glorious because he is God. And that means that if we know Jesus, we know God. Not just for as long as we have life here on earth, but forever because he is an eternal God. But John then goes on. Jesus is glorious because he was made flesh and rejected he was made flesh and rejected when he says we have seen his glory he's doing something extraordinary because what he's just done is he's talked about how god became flesh became a human being became a man and that what happened when he became a man was that he was rejected he was in the world john says and and though the world was made through him the world did not recognize him and then he gets even more specific. He came to that which was his own, his own people, and they didn't receive him either. John goes on in his gospel to tell us how Jesus was, of course, crucified and died. And that doesn't sound very glorious. But the shocking thing is, when John wants to talk about Jesus' death later in the gospel, the phrase that he uses is the hour of his glory. His glory. So he's saying, Jesus is glorious. We have seen his glory, he, he, he says, here in, this, in that reading. And he's saying, you're going to need a new definition of glory. One that understands that glory is not about using your status and power for your own benefits. 
to improve your lot, to consolidate your position. But glory is about giving your life up for others. You know, whatever uh, political position one might take, it's very difficult to think of anyone, either now or throughout history, who has held real power and managed to do so without any suspicion of abusing that power or having ulterior motives in some way. Someone who has only been good, only working for others. Can you think of anyone? The problem, though, is, of course, that if we're honest, we know none of us would really do a better job when entrusted with such power. The writer Alexander Solzhenitsyn put it like this, that the line between good and evil isn't out there in the world. It runs down the middle of each one of us. And lockdown and restrictions and getting stuck online, you know, in most cases, these have only served to emphasise our brokenness and what the Bible calls sin. At its worst, that, that means tragic increases in domestic abuse and crime of various kinds. But even more, when it's not that kind of thing, which of us can claim always to act for the good of others and for the good of God and not ourselves? Jesus, you see, on the other hand, stands out in history as completely different in the way that he lived and the way that he talked and even the way that he died. As we look around and we think, where, where can we find someone to follow and who's worth following and who is completely consistent and can be trusted with all the power in the universe? Look at Jesus Christ. And when we add to that, you know, who did Jesus prove himself to be in his life? Through his miracles and his teaching, he showed himself, as we've just seen, to be God on earth. Well, how much more extraordinary is it then to think that this is how Jesus used the power that he had? To humble himself, to be born as a tiny baby, to grow up living in relative obscurity, and then to give up even that, to be willingly rejected and then to die. Who would do that kind of thing? That is what true glory looks like, says John. So often, you see, the world is about the survival of the fittest and the sacrifice of the weakest. Isn't that true? But here in Jesus, it's about the sacrifice of the fittest for the survival of the weakest. That is glory. And then John tells us, lastly, Jesus is glorious because he offers life to those who don't deserve it. He was rejected, and yet in the middle, towards the end of the reading, he tells us to all who did receiving, receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The implication is this is not something we deserve. It's not something we can say we have earned. See, a gift is not something you have to pay for. You know, if on Christmas Day we, we, we presented one another with gifts and presents, we go, oh, this is lovely, thanks very much, but along with that, we, we, we kind of handed over a bill. You know, here's the gift, and if you wouldn't mind just, you know, settling within 30 days and just, you know, transferring the money into the account to pay for the gift I've given you, that would be a totally different thing, wouldn't it? A totally different experience. It wouldn't be gifts at all. 
But a gift is something that you don't have to pay for. He, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God simply for trusting in Jesus. To those who trust in his son, it's not something you do in order to earn. It's a gift that you're given as you receive it with faith by believing in Jesus. Receive it as a gift. Of course, there is a price that needs to be paid. It's the same with the gifts we give at Christmas, isn't it? There's a price that needs to be paid. But in the case of Jesus, it's been paid by him. The price that needed to be paid was paid in his death for his people on the cross. As he went to the cross, he paid the price. And so we are able then to receive what he offers as a free gift. Even though in our lives, as we look at ourselves and we look at the world around us, we know this is not something we deserve. Yet he offers us the chance to become children of God, to join his family, to, to find eternal love and joy and peace and connection. That is what he offers us this Christmas. If, you see, if, if using the time that we have is our main goal in our lives, you know, I don't want to just exist, I want to live, I want to use my time. If that is all we can say in the kind of Ian Fleming, Jack London, Daniel Craig kind of way, well, surely the problem then is that we are going to end only with a kind of partially completed list of forgotten and forgettable achievements. You know, we long to be that shining meteor. But we know the glory of even the brightest stars that shine is largely forgotten within a generation or two in, in all but the rarest of people. But here is real glory worth having. The glory of the God who made us. Glory redefined by self-sacrifice. Glory that now offers us the chance to know God as his children forever. We have seen his glory, says John. Have you seen it? That's the question to ask ourselves this evening. See glory in Jesus Christ. And then come to him and find not merely existence but life as it's meant to be lived our deepest desires met and exceeded real life that lasts forever